Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. It's this thing where it's like, take me back where I was young. When I just ran through the fields with you and it was simple. And, and sometimes we add so many things to what it is to walk with Jesus. And we get weighed down and so many things come in and and we make it about so many things that it's not and we lose sight of the one thing that it is and that's walking with Him and enjoying life together with Him. And I just pray for every person in here right now that every word that Hannah spoke would land and that it would settle in our hearts. The things that we've thought were dead for a long time, things that we've discounted or given up on, that, that the breath of God would breathe on them and bring them to life. And I just thank you for that, Father. I thank you that you're a good Father. That you're not standing on the porch angrily. Angrily watching with resentment, but you're standing on the porch with hopeful love in your eyes, waiting for the day that our eyes are turned back to you. God, I just pray that today would be that day for so many people all over the world, God, everywhere your bride is gathered, that that the love of Christ would be compelling people to come forward and be, be who you've called them to be, that they would no longer be slaves to fear, that everything that in our lives that we fear, God, is a place where we don't know you or trust you. And I pray that every single lie would be broken, that every single heart would be able to fully trust themselves in you, simply like a child. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. While they're taking up the offering, if you have a child that you're having dedicated today and you've got them in the child care, you can run and get them now, and uh, and we'll get ready to do that. How are you guys? Good? Yeah? Yeah, you're doing good. Even if you don't know what you're doing good, you're doing better than you know. Because Jesus is on his throne, he's alive and well, and every promise he spoke over you yesterday is still true today, and will still be true tomorrow. And every day is a good day. It's just finding His goodness in it. Otherwise, you're forced to live by circumstance, right? That's no fun because you wake up in the morning and and whether you have a good day or not is in someone else's control, in someone else's hands. And someone cuts you off on the highway and suddenly your day is no longer good because the response that's in you. And then you go out and next thing you know, someone doesn't say hi to you like they should have or someone's rude to you or someone doesn't treat you right and your day's just a complete mess and you're a complete and total response to your day and living in reaction to your day rather than living in reaction and response to the love of the Father that fills your heart. And that's just no way to live. I'd rather live where every day is a good day. Every day I wake up and every day the same things that were true yesterday are true today. So if you have your kids and you want to have them dedicated, come on and bring them up forward. Family, if you guys want to stand with them and pray over them, we're going to as a congregation gather around and pray over them as well. But if you guys want to come up with them, you're welcome to. We'll just make room up front here. Bring up them babies. Someone told me they came and visited here. They go to a different church or they came here just because they, they wanted to come and, and hang out for a Sunday. And, and they said, man, I, I told my wife, do not drink the water in that place. Right? Yeah. Come on and bring them all up. We might need to scoot down a little bit that way if we can, if there's any room. Yeah. Just go ahead and get on in tight. We're all family here, so we can rub shoulders. And so here's, so here's what we're doing is that... that The earth and the fullness thereof belongs to the Lord. And we really believe that everything in our lives, everything belongs to Him. And so we live with open hands. And and in doing so, we, we say, God, everything that we have is Yours. It's the position, the posture of our heart that all that we have is His. And in doing so, we believe we will position ourselves perfectly to receive all that He has for us. And so we never want to hold on to something so tightly that we keep ourselves from being able to receive something He has for us. And so we take our children and we stand before Him like Samuel's mother did when she brought Him to the temple. And she dedicated Him to the Lord and she said, I will train Him up and raise Him in the fear and love of God to know Him and have a heart for Him. And, and that's really the cry of our church. And, and why we do this in front of the church is we believe that everybody in this place, the relatives and the church family, plays a part in that. 
That we're dedicating ourselves to these parents just as much as they're dedicating their children to the Lord and saying, we'll stand with you, we'll encourage you, we'll walk with you, we'll help you in every way that we can, we'll support you, we'll pray for you, we'll believe in you, we'll call out that great parent, that amazing parent that's in you. We'll, we'll believe every word that's spoken over you as a parent that God put in his heart. Think about it. God entrusted you with these children. He saw who you are and he said, they're the perfect people to raise my kid. whoa (laughs) he's here (laughs) well he really is Um, and so when he looked down from heaven and he saw you and he placed that child in your womb he believed that you were capable of not just helping that child to survive of not just keeping it safe and giving it food but of actually bringing and raising it up to be the child that he dreamed of when he placed it in your womb to see them become the people that He had in mind when He created them. They're not insignificant and they're not an accident. They're here for a purpose and for a reason. And He believes in you. And we believe in you. So dads, if you want to hold the kid, moms, you can put your hands on them with them. We just believe as the dad is the priest of the home. It's not, a, it's not a, a sexist or a dominance thing, but we believe that the father is called to be the priest of the home. So... <laughs> The kids disagree sometimes, right? <laughs> They're like, well, that's cool, but give me back to the priestess. <laughs> so, so, so here's what we want to do. Fathers, just hold on to your kids. Moms, put your hands on the kids. Congregation, just stretch your hands towards these children. You can come put your hands on them if you want to. It's fine with us. Father God, we just thank You for every little life that's represented here. Father, we thank You that You've entrusted these children into these parents' lives. And God, we give these children back into Your care, surrendering them over to You. Father God, we do not have ownership of our children. We steward them as Your kids that You've entrusted to us. We thank You that everything that we need to raise them to be the people that You've called them to be is inside of us because of the knowledge we have of You. God, we ask that You would help us to always treat them in love. That we would always see them the way that You see them. That we would never lose sight of who they are, even if they do. That our hearts would be so fixed and so firm, and that this day would even be a reference point of saying, on this day, I saw You for who God created You to be, and I'll never lose sight of that. God, we call forth mighty men and women of God. We call forth pastors and teachers and prophets and evangelists, God. We call forth administrators and teachers. We call forth people who will spread the love of Jesus everywhere that they go. We call them forth right now. We say that they are the people that You've created them to be. And we as a church family right now pledge our support and our dedication to doing all that we can within our abilities to see these children become the mighty men and women of God that You created them to be. That they will be lovers of God. That they will lay down their lives. That they will not live selfish, but they'll live for others from a place of love. God, we thank You for that. We believe that every single thing that You had in mind when You created this child will come to pass in this lifetime. That they will be the fulfillment of every word and every dream in Your heart. God, we thank You for that. We ask You to bless them with health. God, we thank You for long life, longevity, God. That they would be blessed as they come blessed as they go, that they're above and not beneath, the head and not the tail, that they're blessed in the field, God, they're blessed in the home, that all they put their hands to would prosper, and that they would live long and be a testament to your faithfulness and give glory to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. They can go back in the nursery now if you want, yeah. Look at all those babies. I mean, where there's love, there's fruit, right? It's just an undeniable fact. Where there's love, there's fruit. And we believe in being a fruitful people. Um, How are you guys? Good. We really are so very glad that you guys are here today. And you, you could have easily let the rain be a reason to stay home. You could have easily let this, the warnings about flooding and all that be a reason to stay home. But you guys came and we're, we're really thankful for that. We don't take it for granted. Um, 
We're going to do communion at the end of this, um, so I'll, I'll try to keep the message outreach short. I was last week, I preached at a different church. I wasn't here. I heard Carl did an awesome job last week. I listened to the message. It was really, really good. I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that in this house, there's people being raised up that can preach the heart of God and, and speak the word. And that if I'm not here, that, that doesn't miss a beat, that, that, that the service is amazing. The word that comes forth is amazing. And, and um, I was at a different church speaking. I had to speak two services there. And they have this timer on the wall that lets you know how much time you have. And someone told me, they said, I was listening to the message and you were talking so fast. And I was like, I'm trying to fit an hour and 10 minutes into 35 minutes, you know, like fully aware that normally I have double the amount of time that I had there. But it was awesome and it was good to be there. And, and um, the people really received it well and, and they had a lot of great things to say. But I want to say that to say this, like that's fruit of this house. Now, when I go somewhere and speak, or when you guys are out in your jobs, or when the worship team goes somewhere and leads worship, when Hannah goes and, and shares with women and leads women, it's fruit from this house that we all share in. It's not there's an anointed person that goes out. It's that everybody here, being who they are, creates who we are in us. And that we encourage each other and we challenge each other and we grow up into all things together. And so anytime any one of us goes somewhere and does something, it's a representation of what God's doing in our hearts and it's fruit for everybody that's here that shares a hand in. So I just want to say thank you to you guys. People really don't understand that. I think sometimes they see the person and they miss the fact that the person is the product of the community that they're a part of. And I don't take that for granted and I don't, I don't think I'm that cool. Okay, well, I do think I'm cool, but, but not that cool. Um, so if you have your Bibles, open up to Proverbs um, chapter 26, or sorry, chapter 27. And we're going to talk just about, a, it's a pretty familiar passage, um, and it's something that I've, I've heard said a lot, and, and so I really started to, to dig into it for a while, and um, if Chapter 27, verse 6, it's just a simple saying. Everyone's heard it before, but it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And, um, and so as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, I know what I've heard that mean before, that you know, friends do things that hurt you, but it's better to be hurt by a friend than to have somebody that doesn't really like you do something that feels good. And and I started thinking about that, and I thought, well, that, that, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like God. Like, He doesn't want us out there hurting each other and saying, well, hey, I'm your friend, and at least it's going to be faithful. And what does faithful even mean when it says faithful are the wounds of a friend? And so I started looking into the original language in this, and, and I found that there was some wording in there that seemed a little different. And the word faithful, it actually says that the wounds of a friend are faithful but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And that word wounds there is actually a word named, called patsa in the original language. It means to split. So I started thinking about that. It's like faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful is the splitting of a friend. And, and if it's a good thing for me, then it has to be that there's something that's being split, there's something that's being divided that's for my good. It's not that a friend comes and splits me open and leaves me there raw and wounded and open to infection. It must be that something has to be split and something has to be divided and it takes a friend to actually do that. Someone who actually loves me and truly cares about me to do the splitting that's called faithful. And so I started thinking about the fact that, that in, our, in each other's lives, we're actually called to see each other, not through our natural eyes, but we're supposed to see. It says we'll no longer see each other according to the flesh, but through the Spirit. And so if I'm looking at you through the eyes of the Spirit, I'm seeing you the way that God sees you. It also enables me to see things that are in your life that are not supposed to be. Things that Jesus gave His life for you to be free from. And if I see them in your lives, your life and I'm actually a friend, then it's my burden and it's my pleasure to come to you and actually speak a word of truth to you that splits and divides who you truly are from that thing that's trying to attach itself to you. And it says that's faithful when a friend does that. And that word faithful there means to build up, support, make firm, to foster or care for as a parent or as a nurse. 
So a parent, right, they're, they're, they're protect their job and they're charged with their children, just like we just talked about with these children, is to protect them and to provide for them. And so this, this word is saying that, that as, as I'm to foster and to look out for my friends like a parent or a nurse. And so a parent would see something that maybe a child doesn't see. And because it wants the best for that child, then it would go to them if there's something going on in their life that they can't see. Sometimes in our lives, we can't see the things that are going on. They're too close. They're right in front of us because we're emotionally attached to it. We're involved in it. Sometimes it takes somebody outside looking in that actually wants our best and that knows more than we do. Maybe they have a little bit more experience. Maybe they have wisdom in an area that we don't. As a parent, there'll be times where you have to actually be a parent to your child. One of the greatest problems I believe that we have in families right now is parents are afraid to be parents and they're trying to be friends. Listen, God did not call you to be your child's best friend. He called you to be their parent. If there's a friendship formed there that is maintained for the rest of the life, that's the result of being a good parent and actually having the right relationship with the child. But being their friend is not the goal. Being their parent is. Friendship is a fruit of good parenting, not the goal. And you have to know that God placed those children into your hands and into your life because He entrusted that you would be able to see truth when they don't and that you would love them enough not to tell them what they want to hear, but what they need to hear, even if it means they don't like hearing it. And sometimes as a friend, we're called to that place with our friends. Sometimes as a friend, we're called when we see something going on in someone's life, we go to them and we're actually giving them a word that will protect them because we see something that they don't. Because we have knowledge that they don't or because we have wisdom and revelation that they don't. And it's our obligation, our duty, and our joy as a friend to go to them. Not to wound them and cut them and leave them hurt, but to actually come and say something that splits and divides who they are from the thing that's trying to attach itself to them and make them like something that they're not and if you care about your friends and you want to be an actual true friend to them we have to get over and deny ourselves right Jesus said if any man would come after me he must first deny himself and take up his cross and follow me sometimes we don't say things to people because we actually love ourselves more than we love them because we're worried about how they'll respond we're worried about whether they'll like us worried about whether they'll receive it correctly or not And we start taking responsibility for the outcome rather than just being obedient. Jesus never called you to a result. He called you to obedience. And so if we're a true friend, we'll come along. And if I see something going on in your life, then I'll come to you and in love speak a word to you, speak a truth to you, bring something to your attention. Sometimes we have things going on in our lives that we're blind to and it takes somebody coming to us and saying, hey, I don't know if you even realize this, but I notice when you speak, this comes out of your mouth. Have you noticed when you talk? I've noticed when this person comes around, you seem to get more quiet. When this person comes around, you seem to have an attitude. When this person comes around, you're not yourself. Have you noticed that? No, I I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, I I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's an issue there. And suddenly, as you're talking it out with your friend, you realize, man, there's something going on. There's something that's trying to attach itself to me that doesn't belong there. And the faithful wound of a friend can actually split and divide that from me because you see me as for who I am, not for who I'm pretending to be or for who the enemy is trying to get me to be. And so you see me through the Spirit, not through the flesh, and you come and you speak a word that actually divides. I thought about a nurse, right? A nurse is someone who helps to heal or recover. Sometimes people get attacked by the enemy. They get beat up. Life comes along and circumstances attack them and beat them up. And we can come along and actually speak a healing word to people that splits what's going on in their life from truth and divides where they are from where God's called them to be. And it, if we're not careful, we will find ourselves giving a deceitful kiss. Because that word kiss there actually means to bind up. And the word deceitful means to multiply. And so here's the deal. How many people in here have ever dealt with offense in their life? The only ones not raising their hands are like two. Right? Because as you live, here's what happens. We're born into Adam, so we're born thinking for ourselves. We're born thinking selfishly. And life is all about me. And then somebody comes along and does something that I don't like, hurts me, does something, takes advantage of me, takes something from me, and suddenly I'm offended. 
And what I'm saying is, is what they did bothered me so badly that I'm going to hold on to it for the rest of my life and I'm going to view and judge them through their wrong actions rather than view and judge them the way that God does me when I do something wrong. And now we have offense. And so say I'm offended and I'm walking around and I'm hurt and I'm looking for someone to share my story with. How many of you guys know when you have an offense, you're looking for somebody that you can share your story with? Offense always wants to multiply itself. It always wants to share. It cannot help itself. It has to be heard. Because not only do you have to hear my offense, but you need to agree with my offense. And then if, 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 if I can really get my way, you can become offended with me at that person. And now there's two of us that are offended and we're two or three agree on anything that's stronger than when just one. And so now we've got two people who are offended talking to each other and yet both people are claiming to be Christians and both people are claiming that life is no longer about me that I've denied myself and laid down my life for to love God and love others. But yet I'm holding on to an offense and I went and found a friend and instead of the friend looking at me and speaking truth to me, they gave me a deceitful kiss. What did they do? They made sure that I realized it was okay for me to feel that way. See, how many times do we do that? And we mean well, right? People come to us and say, can you, did you hear what so-and-so did? Well, the first time that you hear that come out of someone's mouth, can I just give you some advice? Look at them and say, no, have they heard what you think they did? Seriously. Did you hear what so-and-so did? No. Do they know what you think they did? Because according to the Word, if you haven't gone to them yourself, you can't even talk to two or three. That's Jesus said that. That was His formula. He said, if you have, if you have offense towards your brother, or your brother does something to wrong you, go to him yourself. So until you've gone to him yourself, you can't even talk to two or three people about it, according to the word. But here's the thing. Rather than making that a legalistic formula and doing it just so you can check a box, if there's something in my heart that wants to share something with other people before I've gone to the person, there's something that I'm missing and I'm not loving them the way that I should. Because my first reaction when somebody does something that's offensive should be to have my heart break for them rather than have my heart break and broke by them. And I should want to go to them and see them walk free from that thing that they're walking in rather than be offended rather than want to share what they've done with other people. So see these, when Jesus was talking, it was never like this legalistic formula that said, okay, here's what you do. Do this, good. He's saying, this is the way your heart should respond. He's giving us a standard that we can hold ourselves up to. And if our heart doesn't want to respond that way, well, we should respond that way anyways, but we should also try to figure out why don't I want to respond the way that Jesus said that if I'm following Him, I should. Because life is not this struggle where every single day I'm trying to force myself to do things that I don't really want to do. It should actually be if I delight myself in Him, Him giving me the desires of my heart, I should want to do the things that He wants me to do. And if I find myself in a place where I don't, listen, be honest with myself, do it anyways, but also get alone with Him and ask Him why. God, why is it that the response of my heart is, looks nothing like Jesus' response when He was wronged? God, why do I want to go and tell other people about them? Why do I have a goal to make them look bad rather than to make you look good? So someone says that to you, right? And so they come to you and they say, did you hear what so-and-so did? And No, what'd they do? Well, now you've opened the door. You've given them permission to sin by gossiping and you've included yourself into that. And they tell you, well, okay, well, listen, um, and and um, I, I'm praying for them, right? Okay, so that makes it not sin because you added some Christian language into it. And, and you should pray for them too, but here's what they did. They, and we tell them our, our offense, if they're a true friend, they will not give us a deceitful kiss. They will not do something that enables that thing to be in our life and actually multiply and attach itself to us. That's what the deceitful kiss of an enemy is. It says, they did that to you? I can't... Are you serious? I cannot believe they... Did that really... like? You're not leaving anything out? See, now we're qualifying it. I want you to reinforce your story because I'm about to give you some advice that is completely ungodly, but I want to make sure that what you told me is true before I do that. They, they really did that. Yes. They said that. 
And, 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 and I know because Patty told me and Rachel told me. And they're godly women and they wouldn't lie, but they'll gossip. Come on, like we're laughing, but this stuff happens. And it is the biggest disaster and destroyer of relationship is people who don't actually have a heart that says, if you have a problem, I'm not going to have my heart broke by you. I'll have my heart broke for you and I'll lay my life down and not think more highly of myself than I ought to. And I'll actually be more concerned with you being okay because I know that I am. See, at some point we have to believe the Gospel that says that you've been made a new creation born again, that all things passed away, everything became new, that you have a new nature, that He placed His Spirit inside of you, that you've been recreated in His image and in His likeness, and you're called now to live from the overflow of the love of God in your life, not trying to get people to do things the way you want them to do so that you can be okay. You are okay, and now you want to see others live the way that you do. So my concern is not for me, my concern is for you. So even if you really were to say that thing, and even if everything they told me is true, the only thing that should cause in my heart is a reaction that says, well, if they were to do that, it must mean that there's something they're not seeing. They must not be okay. God, help me to be someone who brings truth into their life and let my response look like your response to me. See, but if a deceitful kiss says, let me just... Give you guys the original language on that. The word kiss there is a, is a Hebrew word, nashak, which comes from the root of fastening up or binding. The word deceitful means to actually, in that case, means to make abundant or multiply. So a kiss that is deceitful from an enemy means this. You go to them and you say that to them. And rather than giving you the truth, rather than calling who you are forward, rather than looking at you and not seeing the offense, but looking at you and seeing someone who's missing something that Jesus called us to walk in, I look at you and I say, I can't believe they did that to you. I would feel the same way if I was you. Mm-hmm. And I wrap my arms around you and I make you feel so much better living in a way that Jesus died for you to be set free from. And I've given you permission and I've bound that thing even closer to you. And I've made sure that not only is that thing bound tighter to you than it was before you talked to me. See, because before you talked to me, you might have been doubting if you really should be offended about this thing. You might have been doubting if the way that you're, the Holy Spirit could have been convicting you and you could have felt like maybe there's something I'm missing. Maybe there's something in my life that I'm not seeing. And so you go to somebody and rather than them looking at you and saying, are you kidding me? Why would you be angry about that? That's not true. That's not really who you are. So why would you be upset at them? And why would you respond that way? They're the one that's in trouble. If they actually were walking in the love of God and knew who they were in Christ, they would never say that about you. Because there's no way that they can know who they are in Christ and be walking in His truth and in His love, overflowing the love of God, and say those things about you. That's not true. So A, why is it bothering you so bad? And B, why haven't you gone to them and loved them into a place of wholeness? See, that's what a wound from a friend would do. It would actually divide what you're trying to walk in from the truth right in front of you. And it's so that you're built up and encouraged. That's what the, the, the word faithful there means. It's to leave you built up and encouraged so that you walk away from your conversation with me looking more like and more in love with God and more in love with Jesus and with a desire to act the way He called me to live than you did before you talked to me. A deceitful kiss binds up and, and makes sure that that thing is not only bound tighter to your heart, but that it actually becomes more abundant and it multiplies. Because now not only are you offended, but you have my words to you that confirm that you should be offended. And now I've just given you permission to live a life less than Jesus died on the cross for you to live. And now that thing has an even greater grip on your life. Why would you do that? Part of the reason is so many of us are walking with hurt and offense that the minute we hear someone else's offense, it brings up our own and the reaction that we're giving is because of the feelings we have inside. And we're not even responding to what they're saying. We're responding to a hurt and a memory inside of us and we're giving them permission to act the same way that we act. Why? Because Jesus said, what I have, I give. Freely you've received, now freely go give. If what I've received from people is hurt and offense, when someone comes to me that's hurt and offended, I'll give them permission to be there because I've given myself permission to be there freely. But the right response would be would be a wound from a friend, right? It would be something that cuts, something that splits, something that divides, someone that looks at you and says, listen to me, that's not who you are. You're not called to live offended and hurt. You're not called to live bitter and angry. You're called to walk in love. 
You're not giving that thing permission, are you? And see, here's where we have to be careful because we have to speak the truth in love to each other. So our motive isn't to set each other straight or to prove something to somebody or to try to put on an appearance of something. Our motive should be, I love you, therefore I can do nothing but speak the truth to you. And if I spoke anything less than the truth, even if it made you feel good in the moment, it would be a deceitful kiss because it would actually enable something in your life that has no business being there and that Jesus died for you to be set free from. So it, if it, but, but here's the thing. There's responsibility on both people's halves because Jesus also said, be careful how you hear. And sometimes someone might come to us and they may be may speaking the truth, but their tone might not be exactly what we want it to be. We can't get so hung up on tone that we miss the truth coming from their mouth. See, the responsibility is on both people. One is that we speak the truth in love. The other one is that we be careful how we hear. So even if I come to you and I'm not speaking from a place of love, but I'm speaking truth, if you're careful how you hear, you can actually receive truth and revelation from what I'm saying to you, and it can actually set you free even if my motive wasn't love. And if I come to you with a motive of love, but you won't hear it that way, and you hear it through a lens of offense and hurt, and well, he's just saying that's easy for him to say, what would he do if he was in my position as if we need to compare wounds before we can confirm that the Bible is true? No, it doesn't work like that in Christianity. The person with the biggest scar doesn't get to talk. Jesus does. And so what does it matter if my scar doesn't look like your scar if what I'm speaking is His words? It has the power to heal, to bind up, and to leave you better than you were before you came across my path. The truth is the only thing with the promise attached to it that it will set you free. If we're not careful in this culture of love, we will reduce it to this. I will say what you want me to say so that you like me and so that you feel better in the moment. The problem with that is, is once you leave, there's nothing in that word that brings truth, be- I mean, that brings freedom because there's no truth. And now we've reduced ourselves to people who are saying things so that people will like us, so that people will feel better in the moment, and so that people will think more highly of us, but we're not actually giving them the truth which sets us free. We can't do that. It's a deceitful kiss. It feels good in the moment. But it's deceitful. And it actually leaves me in worse condition than I was in before you came along and before I came across your path. Because now I've given you permission. Now I've told you, I'll tell you right now, they're lucky it's you. If that was me, huh? I think you're doing really well. I think you've handled it really well. And what all we're saying is, is I would be so much more like the devil than you are being. That's the truth. How many times have we said that to each other? Man, I'm telling you right now, just, it's a good thing they did that to you. It's a good thing they said that to you. If they'd have said that to me, and all we're telling each other is, I'm so broken that if somebody would have pushed that button in me, so much less than of Jesus would have came out with me than it did with you. And we've given each other permission to live a life so far below the life that Jesus died for us to live. Instead, what we need to do is actually love each other. Truly love each other. So that we can look at each other and say, listen to me. Do you hear what's coming out of your mouth? Do you understand that right now, the sin that was done against you is reproducing itself in you? And that what's coming from you looks nothing like what comes from the mouth of Jesus when you offended, when you hurt, when you did things that should have hurt Him. And as the Father sent Jesus into the world, listen, we have to love each other enough to speak to each other straight like this. Like life is way too short for us to just give each other cute words that feel better for a moment and have no power to transform our lives. Like that's why we need the gospel in us and to be settled in the gospel and know I'm okay. Jesus died on a cross. Yes, people haven't treated me perfect my whole life. Guess what? They were never capable of it because they were broken people too. It's okay. Give your parents permission to not be perfect parents and love them and don't feel like you have to walk around the rest of your life wounded because your parent wasn't a perfect parent. That's why Jesus said, call no earthly man your Father, for you have one who is your Father. And He's in heaven. And He's perfect. It's because your earthly Father wasn't capable of being a perfect representation of your heavenly Father. He did His best. But He wasn't capable of being a perfect representation. And if we give ourselves permission to not be okay because people haven't been perfect, we will live the rest of our lives wounded, hurt, 
offended, bitter people. And all we'll have to give wherever we go is hurt, woundedness, and offense. We can even set up a counseling ministry based on our own offense, put a Christian title on it, and then give people that come permission to be where they are and make them feel better about it when it's the truth that sets them free. I'm saying all this to say we're going to take communion in a second. And it's a family thing. He said whenever you do this, you're taking in my body. We're His body and you're remembering my sacrifice and my blood. And <laughs> Yeah, you got to play. We've been going back and forth for a couple of days about this. <laughs> well, because sometimes you guys know I go a little long and she's up there playing for a long time. But see, she's not in it for her. She's in it for me. And she's laying down her life for all of you so that you can have soft music and I can bring the message home. I know, yeah, the halo's disappearing quickly. (laughs) But here's the thing. We will never find ourselves in relationships like that if we don't actually commit to each other as family. See, I think that's the thing that's missing the most in this world, honestly. Is people, we have become such a culture of convenience that I'm in it when it's good for me, and I'm in it when I get what I want, and I'm in it when it's easy, and I'm in it when it's, when it's free, and it's cheap, and there's nothing required of me, and I'm getting what I want. But the second it becomes anything less than convenient, I'm out and I find somebody else. And if you don't give me what I want, or you don't respond the way that I want, I can cut you out of my life, and I can move on to somewhere else, and I can find people who will respond the way that I want to. That's not love. That's manipulation. That's saying I'll only act a certain way as long as you respond a certain way. And those kind of relationships will never be the type of relationships that will look each other in the eyes when we are so hurt and offended. Now listen, in love, and make sure that you know you, you grieve with those who grieve, you mourn with those who mourn. You, know, you don't want to like show up to someone who's just had their world shattered by somebody doing something and look at them and say, what the heck's wrong with you? Why would you be crying? No, give them a, be a shoulder for them to cry on, but never give them permission to stay there forever. Be someone who talks and speaks truth to them that lets them know that even though people did things to let you down, you have a Father in Heaven who never will. You have a brother in Jesus who's closer than any brother in this world. And you have a friend that never leaves. He's the Holy Spirit. He came to live inside of you. He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. Don't give them cheap words that make them feel better in the moment, but leave them worse than they were before you spoke. But if we're family, then there's this understanding between us that I'm in it for the long haul. That I'm committed to you. That I'm not just in it when it's easy. And that I have permission and you have permission in my life when we've given each other permission in our lives to actually speak the things to each other that we need to hear, not just the things that we want to hear. And if you say something to me that stings and wounds me in the moment, but is meant to bring truth, I'm not going to cut you out of my life because you don't tell me what I want to hear. I'm going to continue to love you and I'll let that word pierce and change my life because I believe that you're committed to loving me and seeing me walk in everything that Jesus died for me to walk in. Those kind of relationships aren't easy. They're certainly not cheap. That's why Jesus said, greater love is not a man than this, that he would lay down his own life for his brother. It requires me actually thinking more highly of you than myself. It requires me being in it not for what I can get from you, but for what I can give to you. That's where a marriage is designed to work, right? You have two people who are filled with the love of God that lay their lives down one for the other. I'm in it to make your life the most amazing life that it could possibly be. I'm in it to see you become the person that God created you to be. I'm not in it for what I get from you. I'm in it for what God's given that I can give to you. And when you have two people, and that's the goal, it's an amazing marriage. When you have two people that are needy and selfish that are in it for what they can get for each other, eventually neither will have anything left to give and then they'll fall out of love. They'll head off to a court and they'll find someone new to love. And all that is is just saying, I'm done manipulating you because what I get from you isn't worth what I have to give to get it. And I'll find somebody else that has a cheaper price. It's a consumer relationship. Those things are fine when it comes to where you buy your gas. They're horrible when it comes to your marriage or your friendships. It's not about finding the most easiest and convenient way to get it. It's about understanding all that I have and then living my life to give to others. And as our church grows, 
It's going to be impossible for Mr. Jordan to be that for everybody. It'll be impossible for Hannah to be that for everybody. But it will be possible for everybody to have somebody that they walk through this life with that they know and are known by. Everybody has a longing in their heart to both be known and to know. To not have to hide. To not have to pretend. To not have to be something that I'm not so that You like Me. But just to be Me and know that You know who I am. You've seen Me. You know the worst about Me. You know the best about Me. And You're still committed to Me. Everybody wants a relationship like that. Everybody deserves to have a relationship like that. And everybody can have relationships like that, but they will not come without being intentional. They won't just happen. They won't come without us understanding that life is not about me trying to get from you. It's about me giving of myself and laying down my life to see you take yours up. It's about me seeing you the way that God sees you and being committed to speaking truth into your life, even when it's not what you want to hear because it's what you need to hear. And it's about me knowing that you're not going to run away just because I didn't agree with you and hold on to your offense, but I actually spoke the truth to you that sets you free from the offense in the first place. And giving each other that permission. Those kind of relationships aren't easy, but they're so worth it. And they're so necessary. So God, I just thank You for that. I thank You, God, that, that we can wound each other in the best way. God, that we can split lies from truth. That we can speak words that bring healing. Words of encouragement that break the lie of the enemy. The Gospel message, we can preach it to each other that breaks off condemnation and lies that are being spoken. God, I pray that we would be people that not only will speak the truth, but will receive and hear the truth. God, that we won't be easily offended people, but we'll be the kind of people that a friend could actually wound and still call them a friend. That we won't chase after a deceitful kiss that feels good in the moment and leaves me worse than I was before. We be people that love truth. I just pray right now, if you... If there's anyone, I didn't even plan on speaking that much about offense that just came out, and so maybe there's a reason, but if there's anyone here that's dealing with offense in your heart towards anyone, and I'm not saying that they didn't do something wrong, I'm not giving what they did a hall pass and saying it's okay, but I am saying that you're okay even though they did it. You have to be. Otherwise, someone else is steering the ship of your life. And they're controlling you. If, you. if you're right now dealing with offense and there's something in your life that somebody did, whether they've apologized for it or not, you can right now be set free from that and actually walk in forgiveness and walk in love and walk in peace. See, that offense that was done to you, that thing that was done to you, it had this intention in mind. It wanted you to be so hurt and wounded that you were incapable of representing Jesus to the world because you're so busy dealing with your own hurt and offense. It wanted to recreate itself inside of you. And if you're dealing with that right now, whatever it's for, if you just, just raise your hand up and it's not like a, you know, this isn't like a spiritual thing as far as it's just saying that, that I'm going to acknowledge right now that there's something in my heart that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, just keep your hands up real quick and, and the church family do this. Like, yeah, every eye open, right? Keep your hands up. It's okay, you guys. Listen, if we won't say this in front of each other, we'll never say it in front of anyone else. If there's someone around you with their hand up, just put your hand on them. We're going to pray for them. Go ahead, you guys, the ones that had your hands up before I said every eye open, put them back up. It's okay, I promise you. It's our pleasure to pray with you and agree with heaven. But if there's a fence in your heart right now, you can actually let it go because you can see that person as the person who actually had something inside of them that was broken. That it had nothing to do with you and everything to do with a lack in them. And they can't see you for who you are because they don't see themselves for who they are. And right now, I believe God can shift the position of your heart from being offended by them to being hurt for them. That your heart's not broken by them. It's broken for them. See, it's just a simple shift. It's just a simple twist. All it is is redirecting that feeling and that emotion rather than it being for myself. It's understanding I'm okay. And that emotion that I feel is grief because they don't understand who they are. If they did, they never would have done what they'd done to you. I promise you, if they knew who they were, they never would have done what they did. 
So Father God, right now, I pray that You just absolutely remove every bit of offense and bitterness as we repent. God, that our thinking is changed and we full-on repent and turn the other way and think like You do. God, that this grief that's in our heart would be a response to seeing people, not a response to what people have done. Right now, that every bit of bitterness that's tried to take place in our life, that's eaten our lunch, every bit of offense that's kept us from being able to walk in freedom would be gone in Jesus' name. We forgive every single person that's done something to us. And rather than having a desire to see them punished, God, we have a desire to see them come to know who they are in You and to walk in wholeness that they would never again do what they did to me to somebody else because they would be so full of the love that You have for them. God, we pray a blessing over that person right now. Whoever it is, just picture them in your mind and we're going to pray a blessing over them, God. That You would bless them with the knowledge of You. That You would bless them with the knowledge of the sacrifice Your Son paid for their life. That God, that You would bless them with an understanding of the Gospel and that what You did on the cross, You did for them because You love them, not so that You could. God, I pray for every person right now that's hearing this as they think of that person, that You would free their heart and set it loose in Jesus' name. That the peace of God would flood where turmoil once hid. That the love of God would flood where hatred and bitterness once hid. That there would be nothing left but love and empathy for the person. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, we're going we're gonna to take communion now. We do it a little bit differently, maybe. Um, because we believe it should be a joyful time as we remember the body and the blood of Jesus. And so, for any of you guys that are new here, yeah, kids, if you guys could just scoot back a little bit, we got to bring a table up here so we can get the food. It's our family service. Normally we have childcare, but this is our service where all the kids are in with us. And um, so if you're wondering why all the kids are running around, that's what it is. But, um, you know, sometimes people hear when Paul was writing and he said, examine yourselves and don't take of the body and blood of Jesus unworthily because for this reason many of you are sick and some even sleep, which he meant are dead. And we've taken that sometimes if we're not careful. We'll hear that through an Old Covenant lens. We'll hear that through the Old Covenant ears. And we'll hear, I have to examine myself and make sure there's no sin in my life, that there's nothing wrong in my life, and that I'm worthy to come up and take communion. Can I just tell you that that's the most unworthy way that you could ever take communion? Because now you've made your worthiness to receive the body and blood of Jesus about your good actions rather than about His. It has nothing to do with going through your mind and making sure that you didn't do anything wrong since the last time you took communion. It has nothing to do with that at all. It has everything to do with this. Examine myself. Am I in Christ? Have I received the sacrifice that He paid for on the cross? Have I received the new life that He came for me to bring? Because if I did, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus and I am worthy to take of the body and the blood of Jesus. The most unworthy thing you could do is right now try to figure out if you're worthy to receive. The most worthy way that you can receive communion is to understand on my own, I am unworthy to receive anything, but I'm never on my own. And it's because of His blood that I can receive. We have some gluten-free up here for anybody that's on a gluten-free diet. Um, that'll be in the middle. Just let the elders know as they're handing it to you that you want gluten-free. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to start from the back. If you guys can just come up the center aisle. And you can start doing that right now. Just stand up right where you are. Well, just real quick before we do, I guess. Let's just do this. Let's just all just for a second. Just, just take a minute and think about and examine ourselves. And understand that you're about to take communion not because your actions have made you worthy but because His blood has. Not because you've been perfect since the last time you took communion, but because He's still perfect and you're still in Him. Father, we thank You for that. In Jesus' name.
Okay, come on up, you guys. Start from the back, come up the middle, get your stuff, and then we'll go back out the outsides. Wait till everyone has it. We're going to take it together. What are we eating today? Is it banana bread? Banana bread? Yeah, smells like it. Okay. We have some banana bread that's baked by people here. If you want gluten-free, there's some gluten-free up here, but grab some bread, grab a, a cup of juice, and then head back to your seat. We're going to take this together as a family. We're worthy because you said we are. God, I thank you that you've never changed your mind about us. I thank you that nothing's ever caught you by surprise, God. I thank you that even when we were at our worst, you saw us at our best. God, that even when we weren't sure about ourselves, you were still sure of us. I thank You, God, that You sent Your Son because You loved us, not so that You could. I thank You that Your Word says that. That Your Word says that for God so loved me, He sent His Son. Not God sent His Son so that He could. That while I was yet a sinner, You sent Jesus to die for me. Not when I got my ducks in a row. Not when I got my life straightened out. But while I was yet in sin, while I was living my life, in complete rebellion, You looked down and sacrificed the blood of Your Son for my life. And You thought that I was worth it whether I did or not. You can always tell what something's worth by what someone's willing to pay. I have a cool story about that one time I was looking online and I saw a thing about how Beanie Babies are worth a lot of money nowadays. And I used to work at a zoo, and so when the box would come, the, the special ones like the Princess Diana or the ones that were really expensive, they would only, you couldn't order them. They would just stick one in a box randomly, and the suppliers would get them, and then you could do what you wanted with them. Well, we were working at the zoo at the time, so we were in charge of taking and inventorying stuff. So any of the ones that were valuable that came, we took for ourselves and bought them from the zoo. And so I have a whole collection, I do, of Beanie Babies. I got the Princess Diana. I got Garcia, the tie-dyed one, before they had to change his name to Peace because they got sued. I, I'm, I'm a nerd. And I have all of them still. You guys laugh. But you have your things. And so I was reading one day, and I saw someone had retweeted this article, and it said that Beanie Babies are now valuable again. And so I started looking them up on, I, I clicked on the article and it started talking about, you know, how the very early ones that were handmade and have the PVC filling before they outlawed the PVC filling, how valuable they were. And it showed links to ones on eBay for like $160,000 for some of the ones that I had. I woke my wife up stoked. I did. I woke her up. I was like, babe, I think we're rich. <laughs> And I was like, look, and I'm showing her the tag. See, and, and look at this one. See how that word's misspelled? It said if that word's misspelled, then you know it's one of the valuable ones. And I'm, I'm showing her all these reasons why these Beanie Babies are so valuable. And I'm like, look, people are selling this one right here on eBay for $160. i will put it for $140. You know? like. And uh, so I just decided to check something else and... It basically said that, yeah, there's people that are trying to get $140,000 for them on eBay, but nobody's actually buying them. If you look at completed purchases, you'll see that people are paying 100 bucks for them. And I realized that you can put a price tag on something all you want. It's only worth it if someone's willing to pay it. And when God looked down and put a price tag on your life, what He was willing to pay was the blood of His Son the life of His Son Jesus. That your life, your individual life, when He looked down, He placed the value of the blood of His Son on your life. You guys can sit down. You don't have to stand back there. Yeah, sorry. The new people in the back are being very... Hey, we appreciate that. <laughs> we do. So I can tell you what I'm worth. And I can try to exaggerate it, but you can't exaggerate the blood of Jesus. You can't exaggerate the love of the Father looking down and seeing you and deciding that you are worth the blood of His Son. And that's the price that's on your life. That's what you're worth. That's what He was willing to pay.
I think it's fitting that we're doing communion after what we just prayed for. I think there's going to be some people that take communion today lighter than they've ever taken it before. I feel like there's going to be people who actually take it and completely enjoy everything that Jesus died for because there's no offense or bitterness in their heart. I'm excited about that. Alright, if everybody's got their, their bread, just hold it up. It says that Jesus on the night He was betrayed, on the night He was betrayed, it says that in the Word, it's interesting, it tells us, it says, and Jesus, knowing that Satan had entered into the heart of Judas, girded Himself with a towel and knelt and washed their feet. It says that because He's wanting us to understand that it's not because He didn't think they were ever going to betray Him. It's not because of everything that they did right. He knew that Satan had entered into Judas's heart, and yet he still knelt and girded himself with a towel and washed the feet of the man who would sell him for 30 pieces of silver, knowing he was going to do that. It's not a conditional response. It's not because Judas was perfect. It was because Jesus is. It says He took the bread. When He gave thanks, He broke it and said, take and eat. This is My body broken for you. Jesus, we thank You that Your body was broken. That You were wounded for our transgressions. That surely You bore our sickness upon You. And that by Your stripes, we are healed. And right now, as one body, we receive And we take Your body into us in remembrance of the broken body of Jesus. Beat, crushed, persecuted. All for us. We thank You for that. God, we pray that not one stripe would be wasted. That not one bruise would be in vain. That not one curse of sin that was laid upon Him would ever be taken by us. That nothing Jesus endured would ever be in vain. That we would live in the fullness of the redemption that His body bought for us. In Jesus' name. And on that same night, He took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant in My blood. Shed for your forgiveness. And He was literally carrying life in His veins as He walked this earth as a man. And then they hung Him on a cross and that blood was spilled. That as it fell to the ground, it silenced the blood of Abel that cried out for justice as the blood of the second Abel, as the blood of Jesus, fell on the blood of Abel and mercy triumphed over judgment. And grace was forever screaming from the ground. God, we thank You that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That what the blood of bulls and goats could never do because it was only one year. It was only for a while. It was only for a little while. The blood of Jesus did forever. And it made us right with You, God, that we can stand before You not because we are perfect on our own, but because in You, we've become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus, I thank You that You didn't just come and act sinful so that we could act righteous, that You became sin. That we might become righteous. Lord, I pray that not one drop of the blood would be wasted. That not one day would be lived in condemnation for sin that the blood of Jesus has covered. That not one day would be lived in our lives allowing things in our lives that Your blood was shed to wash away. God, that we wouldn't live our lives remembering the things that we've done wrong. We would live our lives remembering what Jesus did right. God, You said that when You forgive our sins, it removes so far from You as the east is from the west. It's lost in the sea of forgetfulness. And that You would forgive our sins and remember them no more. And God, if You think they're worth forgetting, then we think they're worth forgetting forever. And we thank You that the blood of Jesus washes us of all unrighteousness now and forever. God, don't let one drop of this blood be wasted on my life. Let me live and enjoy the life and the redemption that Jesus gave His life for forever. God, we thank You for Your amazing plan of redemption. We thank You that You sent Your Son. 
not just so that one day when we die, we could be in heaven, but so that right now we could have a relationship with You, the eternal God. That we could live in this life as Jesus lived. Free from offense. Free from the guilt and the burden and the shame of sin. And alive to You. Full of joy. Full of life. Full of passion. God, I pray that the end of making it through our day is today for every person hearing my voice right now, that there would never be another day that we'd just make it through, but that every day would be enjoyed and lived to the fullest. That we would see You in all things. That we would live our lives honoring You and laying them down to see others take theirs up. God, that we would be so set free from ourselves and so set free from others that we can actually love them with no expectation of response, but strictly to love so that a world that doesn't know You would taste the fruit of my life, of our lives, and see that You're good. I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.